Hi friends, you're listening to Autism and Us with me, Maisie. When my son was diagnosed with autism at the age of four, I didn't know anything about autism. Oh wait, I'd seen Rain Man in the 80s. At the beginning, I felt devastated, isolated and afraid. Diagnosis day, the darkest of my life. It wasn't the masses of written information I was given that helped me. It was sharing stories with other Spectrum parents I met along the way, giving me tips and advice, and most importantly, made me feel like I'm not alone. I am no expert and don't claim to be. I'm a parent at the start of my journey. Each episode, I will be talking to a parent or a close family member of someone with autism, and they will share their story from the early years to diagnosis to present day. Hello, my lovely listeners. Welcome to season three of Autism and Us, the podcast. It's taken me uh, a bit longer than I wanted to get these episodes out. Um, I'm sure many of you know this already because I bang on about it so much, but yes, I do work uh, full time and I'm a single mother to Charlie, so time permitting. But this is such a huge passion project for me and I really wanted to to get some more episodes out there. Um, with the help of Kit, my co-producer, uh, I couldn't have done any of this. So a massive thank you to him. And I really hope you enjoyed this season. In the first episode of Autism and Us Series 3, I'm joined by the English actress, Casey Ainsworth. Casey studied at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama, where she went on to win roles in series such as The Bill and A Touch of Frost. And she was to join the cast of EastEnders in the year 2000, where she played the iconic role of Little Mo. Since then, she has gone on to star in the ITV detective drama Grantchester, and most recently acted on stage as Miss Lovett in the stage revival of Sweeney Todd. Today, Casey talks to me about her son, Elwood, who has a diagnosis of autism. Hi, Casey. Hello. (laughs) Thank you for coming on the podcast today. Um, I know we're going to talk about your journey with your son, Elwood, but it'd be good to know a little bit about you before you had your son. So like where you were born, where you grew up. And I know you went to the school of London School of Speech. Central Central School of Speech. Yeah, yeah, but when I was in my 20s. Right. So So, yeah, if you could, from kind of being born to then, it would be good to know. Okay. So (laughs) so that, oh, that's very, how long have you got? Oh my God. Um, So so, yeah, I was born in North London. Um, I've got a sister, Sue, who's three years older than me. And we grew up a very normal kind of working class family. And uh, when I was about nine, uh, one of my teachers at school had said to my parents that I was quite, good at acting or it was called music and movement then <laughs> it wasn't called acting and uh, and they said that I was very expressive so I should you know they should uh, encourage this um obviously it means I was horribly precocious <laughs> it was clearly um and I was always Mary well cocky oh yeah <laughs> it's Mary or the angel Gabriel from when I was about three all the way up till I left my primary school at 11, they must have hated me. So when I was nine, my mum said, there's these open auditions for Annie and it's round the corner from where your dad works in Victoria. So why don't we go? It's a half term. I think my sister had a skinhead at the time, so she was never going to get into it. But we both ended up queuing up behind everybody else. Millions of people there going, queuing around the, around the block. Went in for this audition for, I didn't know what I was doing, Went in for my little bit. Musical director said to me, um, could you know any songs? 
there was all these stage school kids there who'd got all their songs and were all doing, you know, the Bonnie Langford era and doing all their bits. And I said, I said to him, I don't, I don't have a song. And he said, but do you know any? I said, I oh, know what's the name of the game by ABBA because it was in the charts. And he said to me, I know that one. Let's do that. So we did basically a bit of karaoke with that, me singing What's the Name of the Game by Abba, because I was a cocky little skinny little, um, you know, kid. Real as well. Yeah, yeah, real. It's exactly what they wanted for Annie at that point. They didn't really want kids who'd got a lot of kind of show business sense. So hilariously, out of all of those millions of people that, that did it, or it probably wasn't millions, it was probably about three grand. No, thousand, it was millions, millions. It was loads, millions <laughs> around the world, global. Um I actually uh, got a part in it. And so that started me off on the road to acting and liking acting. But I was little um, and uh, so I got a lot of parts and I did lots of other things after that. Saturday morning television, I did a film, Peter Sellers, I did a musical with Michael Crawford, all little bits and bobs. Didn't have an agent, didn't do anything, just did it in my kind of spare time. Around school? Yeah, totally around school, went back to school, did my usual school and if a job came up, I did it. And then when I got to about 14, it didn't seem to be very cool anymore to be a 10-year-old with plaits. Mm. You know, I wanted to jump around to ska music and wear a pair of waffle trousers um, and a skinny tie and not have long hair and be playing a kid. So I said to my mum, I don't want to do this anymore. And she went, that's all right, knock it in the head. So there was a, was there a gap? Yeah, there was a, a massive gap until I was about 19. Um, and then I thought, no, I do want to do this. This is definitely what I want to do. Mm. So I ended up going to youth theatres. I started off at the cockpit, first of all, and then the Young Vic, because they seemed more accessible to me than all of the big ones, like National Youth Theatre. You had to audition and do a Shakespeare piece, and it was money. You had to pay for your audition. And it didn't feel like the sort of place that I would be accepted. And then I met like-minded people, people from my, my background who wanted to be actors and were auditioning for drama school the same as me and ended up getting into Central School of Speech and Drama which is now apparently Royal Central School of Speech and Drama la Um and did my three year acting course and from there obviously I got an agent and that's how I got into the business And what was your first I'll say big but you know your first like televised part after that or, or on stage or Yeah the stage was the was the best one it was uh, I went to uh, I'd come out, done a bit in rep, and then I got a job at the Royal Court. And it was a Joe Pennell play. And I was playing opposite Ray Winston. And it was called Pale Horse. And it did really well. It was Joe's second play um, at the court. And, of course, everybody came to the Royal Court. And EastEnders came about after I'd done a film with Mike Lee. And I was going completely on a completely different trajectory. And then we they did workshops around um, finding a new family. And I was very excited at the fact that it was all, an all-female family because they'd had this thing in EastEnders where it seemed to be two brothers, two brothers, two brothers. Mm. Once you had the Mitchell brothers, then you had another set of brothers and then yeah. there was another set of brothers. And it was all that kind of old-school, Eastern gangsters, all that, you know, stuff. Um, and suddenly they wanted a family of, of women. And everybody said it won't work because... You know, you needed love interest, you needed sexiest male, you know, you needed people like Michael Greco in order to, mm. to bring viewers in. They thought that they wouldn't follow four women, but the producers stuck to their guns okay. and the writers stuck to their guns and they ended up with, well, I think it was five of us in the end. And actually a true reflection of so many families and still today are of just all women, yeah. each, put it, each doing their part to yeah. bring up the, the family. The family yeah. and support, support each other yeah. and all of that. 
And I didn't really want to do EastEnders because, you know, it was like, oh, you know, that's that's I'm going to be now. Yeah, tied to that yeah. for a long time. But once I'd got in the room and done, like, we started off, there was about 100 of us. So they really whittled it down. And once we got to a level where it was, you know, uh, I could see the family forming, um, they were so exciting to improvise with. You know, Jesse, Elaine, uh, Michelle wasn't on board at that point. Uh, Layla, who is a big mo, yeah. um, it felt so good already. And I thought, wow, this is feels like I'm back at drama school. This feels like I could do this every day. You won awards during your time there yeah. for those controversial storylines. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And because I'm always interested in how kind of our lives, our work lives kind of mirror or parallel our journey into motherhood. Yeah. So when was Elwood born? In terms of like, was that the same time or? So no, so I've got I've got two children. Oh, so wow. I've, yeah, I've got a daughter, um, Blossom, and she was born in two thousand and four. Yeah. So I'd really only been in EastEnders four or five years, um, and my partner, I've known since I was fourteen. We went out briefly when we were fourteen. I say briefly because you know then I caught him in a car with another girl. Well, he's and obviously so, never forgotten you. Do you know so. what I mean? Well, well, you know, he's only human, ain't he? You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Magnetic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and so I had my daughter in two thousand and four. Uh, she was textbook baby. Right. You know, the book said she rolls over at four months. At four months, she went click and rolled over. Everything, she, everything sitting about up six sitting months, up, yeah. eating. She was, you know, absolute. We had the Parent of the Year awards. Anyone who was struggling with sleep didn't understand it. She, nice she was perfect. Yeah. She just didn't, you know. I mean, this is maybe rose tinted specs from years ago, but still, I don't remember her causing us much issue at all. Uh, and then in two thousand and eight, I had quite a few miscarriages. Um, I think some of them were were related to the fact that I was working so madly right um and but i do you wanted think that that's, but you wanted that second child it was, yeah, yeah 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 it was planned and you yeah. were like okay yeah yeah um i'm yeah. sorry about that yeah well, well yeah. i mean you know it it's happens common, and it, and it? It, yeah it really yeah. is really common um and then and then i had um elwood in 2004 where's his name come from so these both of these names redwardian names my partner chose both of them really um, that's nice of you yeah no well, a lot of my friends are like no i've picking the name well I think actually he he's he's got really he had really good taste in the names because yeah. I think they're lovely. So so he so how was the pregnancy and they were both fine. Yeah, he was textbook? no no. So already he began not textbook. I went into labour at thirty weeks with him. Oh, I was yeah. filming Holby Blue. I'd left EastEnders by this point because I'd realised that I couldn't. I wouldn't have been able to do it with two children. I could just about do it with Blossom and also the schedule was just at that, that time for me was crazy so I'd left and then I started doing a series called Holby yeah, Blue yeah I remember your character in Holby Blue which was a really nice series for me but I, I became pregnant whilst I was doing that so they had to write me out the series um, and they had to write me out really quickly because I went into premature labour at 30 weeks so then I had to go into hospital I had a week's rest but literally every time I stood up I started to go into labour I could feel it so it was hideous um and I had to finish off a few scenes and literally I couldn't even, I was just sitting on a seat doing Gosh. all these scenes. So it was bed um, rest for you. Yeah, bed rest. And then on his due date, I got up and he was out in two and a half minutes. Was he good size when he was born? Yeah, was he, he was, yeah, yeah, he was six, five. Okay. Uh, but, you know, yeah, he was, that's okay. My, uh, oh no, he was six, 12 and Blossom was six, five. So it was about in the right thing. And... You know, initially, you, it's just a blur. You've got now got two children, and it's just a blur. He didn't sleep at all. 
Right. So as a young baby, you know, and they do that thing where they sleep, eat, sleep, eat. Yeah. But then already from quite early on, you were thinking, he's not sleeping as much as Blossom. Is this normal? Is he just, as you, you always just think of, oh, he's just doesn't sleep well it's nothing yeah. it's not attached to anything it's no, just no he's oh, hungry a, he's a hungry boy he's a hungry baby, that kind of, oh he's a boy that's why because he's a boy i'd have all of that conversation and he was yeah he was really di- really difficult baby he broke us you know and also we had all these parent of the year awards with blossom uh, that we had to then put in the trash because we were then you know hauling our way through life yeah on you know an hour and a half sleep because he just wouldn't sleep at all you kind um, of go in and i had this with charlie so i'd go in and his eyes would just be wide open yeah wide open and yeah. he'd been, been lying there for ages yeah and really tired i could tell he was tired yeah yeah yeah. just couldn't click over no yeah and so many things that we discovered later on would have helped that situation he had glue ear so he was pretty deaf he wouldn't sleep because he would feel so insecure about not hearing that what he couldn't hear was my heartbeat so the only way he would actually fall asleep for any period of time would be if he laid on my chest and also, because we then have a diagnosis later of the fact he's dyspraxic, again, going from horizontal to vertical um, is quite difficult and he would feel out off balance and add that to having glue ear as well. He was completely at sea. Mm. And so therefore lying in a cot, like literally felt he felt like he was in suspended in midair. I mean, mm. I know all this now. Yeah. But this is why it, 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 it felt alien for him and was so uncomfortable for him. He didn't seem to like breastfeeding either. He would like punch me. Um and he you know, whereas I'd had a daughter who just, you know, kind of latched on, did a bit, mm. coughed, burped, went to sleep. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't like that. I mean I was very lucky because my mother in law who's not with us anymore, but she was a nurse. She is. A, she was a nurse. And she was a matron at um, both Barnet and Chase Hospitals. And she was like the head honcho there. And she was really helpful in a lot of ways because she would say things to me like, let's try and give him some food because it may be that he's hungry. And, I, and, she's, and he also had teeth at six weeks. And of course, my partner had teeth at six weeks as well. Right. So she said, look, he's got teeth. He's putting on weight lots. You're feeding him huge amounts. I think he might be hungry. I think, you know, and I was like, yeah, but you're not meant to feed them until six months. You're not meant to wean them. And she was like, yeah, yeah, shut up. He's an individual. They're all individuals. So she was probably the first person who said to me, he's an individual. You know, just because you've had one that's gone by the the baby book, she said, Mm. you need to mince them and then look at him as a complete individual. And in terms of, so milestones rolling over, sitting up, was he meeting those kind of about? He was odd because there were some things he was really advanced with. So standing up, he never really crawled or bum shuffled he literally just went nine months stood up same as charlie and then cruised yeah charlie had a weird sort of golem like thing (laughs) and then we used to laugh about it and then he just suddenly yes stood up up. and same as speaking he didn't babble or anything but one day he just said mum yeah (laughs) it's out of the blue and we were like oh yeah but yeah so he was so woody's speech was delayed right um we thought because he couldn't hear seems to be the natural kind of step that a lot of people yeah charlie had a hearing test and he was 
happily turning around and I thought and there was a part of me that really wanted it to be that yes. I know that sounds really bad but I was like oh he's deaf he's deaf yeah that's yeah. what it is and when this is fine I was like oh god yeah well I had the opposite so they went he's deaf and I went oh that's why great let's get some grommets in and so he, he had his grommets put in so um, he had he had the fluid in the ear and yeah, you know, when yeah. they do that yeah glue ear yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And so yeah, they put they put those in. And she but, like, he was Great. Like, but he was like two and a half by this point. Right. So we've jumped, you know, from from him. So he so he cruised around again, not really speaking a huge amount. But then you have all of the things that the other parents beautifully say to you, things like, Oh, he's the second one. Everybody speaks for him. He's got an older sister to get him stuff, so he doesn't have to. Um He's a boy, they talk they talk less. Yeah. yeah, all of those things that people say to reassure you or to say, you know, don't worry about it, just let him be. And so I would hang on to all of those things. But I knew and I know so many parents who were like, This child is different. He didn't really like looking at me as a baby and he never looked happy as a baby. And you know, again, all well-meaning sentiments. Oh, some people just don't like being babies. Mm. Some people are so much better once they can stand up and do stuff for themselves. Um, yeah, ours was, he's such a good baby. That's what people say about Charlie because he was so passive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. would never do anything to initiate anything himself. He would happily be like tickled or... But it would ne- he'd never be forthcoming in... Kind right. of anything. But yeah, he was yeah. lovely. Yeah, really yeah. lovely. Like yeah. smiley, giggly little baby. But yeah, and just... everyone would go, "Wow, aren't you great?" Yeah, and I'd Cause... be like, "He never, he never cries." And I give him to people. He's really, really easy. And I used to feel really like smug about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, how these things come and yeah. slap oh, you in the chops. Yeah. How, how I laugh now. <laughs> yeah, at those halcyon days. <laughs> yeah. um, well, he he wasn't like that. He was pretty pretty difficult oh, yes. with everything. He was quite hit- things, was he quite hitty, yeah, throwy. Um, would do repetitive actions when he was, you know, obviously a bit more solid on his feet. He would run up and down like fences, um, which I now know he's, he was calming himself, stimming. He mm. was like stressed out of his head. So all he could do was repetitive motions mm. in order to to kind of just calm himself down. It's a little bit like, you know, when people rock to calm oh, themselves yeah. down. We're all stimming in some way, yeah. but just theirs is... Is really obvious. Yeah. Um, he didn't particularly flap hands or or he did spin. He did like spinning, um, but he didn't do that excessively. Also, he, he seemed to like numbers. He seemed to like saying numbers, but he wouldn't say words. He would say numbers a lot. So he could count. He knew his numbers. Yeah, yeah. But he didn't. But he wouldn't say words. And I found at one point that if I put a number before a word, then he might say it. So if I said one banana, he would say one banana. But if so but, but if I just said banana, he wouldn't say it. <laughs> but he was dreadful with food. Sets, you know. We, sometimes would throw it, throw it up the wall, and you know. Would he only like the same things? Like, oh, of course, like, yeah, yeah. Same I mean, coloured or like, so, yeah, beige, yeah. beige food. Oh yeah, 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 beige food only. I love beige food. Yeah, so nuggets. Uh, yeah, yeah, anything but a cheese, uh, French bread, um, yeah, pasta, beige yeah. food, beige yeah. food. Um, so I knew there was something that wasn't. He didn't seem to be like other children. Um, so did you, you have think? a conversation with your partner about it? Do you remember? We just we just thought it was because it was second child. We had all of those, you know, and you know, yeah, he's a nightmare, and and you know, 
my mother-in-law would say, oh, it's just like Darren Yeo's awful and blah, blah. So we'd have this whole conversation about stuff. And it wasn't till he went to nursery Busy Bees. So I would, I would take him there and then he kind of moved up to being go, going to one where he could stay there for two hours on his own. And the lady there's tiny little village I live in now, lady there said to me at one point, do you think he might be on the autistic spectrum? And I nearly fell over. I was like, excuse me? What do you mean? That was so stupid. Um, and I was still kind of working part time then anyway, doing doing stuff. And I had a, a really brilliant girl who used to work for me called Emma. And she um, used to only work for me two days a week. Um, but I needed respite from him. I, I know that now, but mm. I didn't. I didn't realise why, but it's because of the full-on nature of him. And she was amazing with him. She was wonderful. And I remember going home and saying to her, oh, you know, Anthea thinks he's on the autistic spectrum. And she said, yes, so do I. And I was like, I nearly fell over. She was like 21 years old, um, but had this amazing uh, ability to deal with children who had special needs. She then went on to ha um, to look after a little boy who had cerebral palsy and she looked after him for like seven years after she wow. left us. She was an incredible, intuitive person. Not trained, not anything, but she was really intuitive. Yeah. And I knew that she, I knew that, she, and I said, well, why didn't you tell me? And she said, it's not my business to tell you. you. She said, you have to come to this in your own time. And it hit me like a brick, you know, suddenly... All of the fears that I had in the back of my mind, absolutely everything. God, it makes me really upset. I know, about I know, now. I know. It's, it's, it brings it all back, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, all of that stuff that I sat there and I thought, I pushed. You have to face pushed, it. Pushed, pushed. It was like, you you need to do something about this. It's, it's like a grief, isn't it? Mm. That you, that you, it's like something has died. Yeah. And the thing that has died is your idea of what your child will be. And it's been replaced with something that is completely unknown. Yeah. And, you know, the, a lot is talked about about the child with autism, but not a lot is talked about the sibling who doesn't have autism, who is a neurotypical and who is dealing with a, a sibling who has autism because they take up so much of your time. Um, and my daughter got to a point where she felt like her achievements and anything that she did were were quickly... You know, oh, that's wonderful. That's really good. Back to Elwood. Yeah. Oh, oh that's oh, easy for you. Yeah, Great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and she was able to voice that at about nine and say that she felt that. Amazing. And we had to we had to redress that balance immediately. Um, mm. at, so do time for her, like her time. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. She loves horses and loves horse riding. So we got a horse share. And so every Saturday morning it would be, and Sundays, it would be me and her or her and her dad. Mummy time, daddy um, time. Totally. I'm two sure hours. she appreciated that hours, so much. Two hours, three hours, and that and that was and it was really important for her. Having said that, you know, there's other parts of her that that have made her quite independent because she had to kind of fend for herself. I mean, she was three and a half, so she was off doing her own stuff, and she was quite independent anyway. Yeah. But the fact that she didn't cause us any problems, then made her go well if I need attention I may need to cause you some problems so we had to make sure that the good behavior was absolutely like you know fanned 
um, and all the good stuff that she did was fanned so that she felt like she didn't have to do the opposite. Yeah. She didn't have to feel like she had to make a fuss that's or such be... such a good insight. But it's, you know, and there's so little that's done for siblings of of children on yeah. you know on the spectrum because some we've heard some stories of kids kind of overachieving because they feel like they're kind of making up for or like they feel like they have to be perfect because well, i think that's very true and i think that's my, my daughter's had that too yeah and probably still has a lot of that you know she's got a scholarship to a top public school which wow. she goes to and she's incredible brain box yeah she, and she did. She achieved that mm. um, against all the odds. Um, and for us, I mean, we're all state educated, so it's not even our world, really. But she, she, she did that, got that, and is now there and is absolutely thriving. I would like to um, go back to. So you went to the GP, yes. And uh, do you remember? Because I remember the diagnosis day, and even though I was on the train way before then. It almost that day is almost like the day it began for me because it was the day it was written down. Yes, D Day. Yeah, yeah D Day. D Day. Like Somebody's that. put it on your on a piece of paper. Well, we had like three and a half years because they assess. Oh yeah. And they do all the other stuff. So they did the ears. Then they did um, speech therapy, speech and language therapy. And I find well, I found with Elwood that it would depend on the therapist. So because he's very particular, so it depended on who we got for a therapist um, and we had a great speech and language therapist called Jamie who was brilliant and he absolutely adored her and so we were so we were kind of like oh speech and language oh that's working for him you know he's getting much more because he can now express himself a bit so, more so this was part of the diagnosis was it um, well was they it? weren't even saying about they were saying you know, let's monitor him. Okay, because, so it's like get the ball rolling to yeah. see if we're going to end up with a diagnosis. Yeah. Because at this time, is he using? He's he is because he is verbal now. Yeah, he, yeah, he can yeah. talk. Yeah, and yeah. He can have functional yeah. conversation. He doesn't shut up. He doesn't yeah. shut up because yeah. that's quite a common thing as yeah. well. Like they don't say anything and then suddenly they they don't shut up. Like yeah, I've heard that a lot. So yeah, a there's no filter, um, and b you it was, it was always very clear if you didn't like somebody, uh, or if there was a dodgy smell about them for him they yes. might not smell awful at all but for him they were you know and I think that's what a lot happened with a lot of foods you sometimes do feel like the crappiest parent in the world or like you're you know and I have and I'm I to this day I'm still guilty about doing things that I'd seen on Super Nanny you oh, know yeah. and sitting him down in a chair in a high chair um forcing him or making him trying to force him and allowing him to sit there and become so distressed he mm. was sick yeah because um, you're trying to say like this is how it's done yeah for yeah. like everyone else so you have to do it i know yeah. i got that and there's a whole thing of like stepping into their world like so charlie would have a freak out every time we had to go to the shoe shop because he hates people <laughs> touching his feet or like one time the really nice lady was like putting doing shoelaces and just grabbed her hair and like wouldn't let go and obviously she was crying and he was crying and I was like crying. So we were all just crying in Clark's. It was amazing. Great day. And now I just get um, I just get the shoes online. Yeah. I don't thought, I'm just like, why don't I just do that? Well, I had exactly the same Clark's experience. Oh, Woody, they love us in Clark's. Woody, uh, yeah, I was chucked out. Woody um, kicked Great. her in the chest and she was uh, horrified, said that he was a, a very, very naughty little boy. Oh my God. Um, and, you know, looked at me as if I was, you know, the, 
yeah. the most awful parent in yeah. the world. How and could you let him get away the, with these yeah. things? And then the manager came over and said, I think you need to leave. So we were we were actually sponged and kicked out from Clark's. You know, <laughs> didn't get kicked out of school, got kicked, kicked out of Clark's <laughs> for, for, for Elwood. And so, yeah, all of those, all of those things. And this is all, again, pre-diagnosis. Right. So if you're forever checking yourself, thinking you're the, the worst parent in the world. Especially if he can, like, I know this sounds really, like, boring, but it's almost like the yardstick, especially if he can talk. Yeah. Because, obviously, if, if that's what I'm saying, sometimes I get it quite easy. Because Charlie can't talk, they're always like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, because they can... You know, you know yeah. Okay, the, we'll make some adjustments we'll, in the we'll shop. We'll allow it. We'll allow it. Oh, let him pop those balloons. That's fine. And I think if you if you knew what he was going through, mm. and I think that's the that's the... When you have a diagnosis, it's all you about have us, people. <laughs> but when you have people sitting down and saying to you, "That would have been the worst sensory experience for him," you know, I remember him just going bonkers in places like Pizza Express. There's no soft furnishings in those places. What's wrong with them? Every yeah. clatter would kill him. The so echo as well. The echo, a chamber, yeah. The 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 marble tables. The you know, every time somebody puts down a glass for him, that was like somebody shattering his head yeah. with the noise of it um and you know i used to wonder why i used to kick off and not want to go and not want to do those things and want to get out of there and and yet i would sit there you know thinking you know mm, you will do this you, you, yeah. he is gonna do this and he's gonna you know this time it'll yeah, be different yeah and he, yeah. i'm gonna get him to behave like everyone else yeah you know how, how empowered we are now because i i was the same and I tried so many things to fix it at the beginning because mm. I didn't want it to be true. Yeah. And now, because I sort of tailor my day around what he can... I see a different... Like, he's so relaxed yeah. because we're doing... You know, we're going to parks, open spaces, yeah. you know, no restaurants. He doesn't no have to be go. stimulated. Yeah, exactly. So you can see his true... Yeah, person. Yeah, personality, yeah. which is... Yeah, you take all of those stresses away and you see them for who they are. Yeah. All these symptoms of the autism are you know trying to defend themselves against the sensory yeah, overload, overload that yeah. they've got and that they you know I, I said to someone it's like being at a rock concert all the time and trying to do your daily stuff when you've got a rock concert going on behind your back and the washing machine and possibly the hoover yeah but then i find they can't they, even with my son being verbal, hard to he describe can't really yeah. say what is the issue for him yeah um you know we 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 just kind of pick it up we pick up the issue and say oh behavior's changed um so what's going on why has he suddenly got loud what's happening with him what's happened like two you steps know. before yeah. what happened yeah 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 or where are we oh hang on a minute wait stop and we have to do a lot of that all the time so you did get the diagnosis yeah in finally the end, th after three years yeah, three and were years. you thinking god i hope we get something, some help or... Yeah, I, I continued to look up professional people who I trusted and the school, the nursery that he ended up going to, is it, which, is, which was attached to his school, yeah. had a brilliant um, nursery school teacher called Mrs Greer. She was wonderful and I went to see her and I said to her, look, this is what I think. I said, but, you know, you tell me whether I'm barking up the wrong tree or whether he's just... You know, again, I'm not disciplining him enough at home, or I'm not giving him enough routine, or whatever. Yeah. And uh, and she she was like, oh yeah, yeah, of course I will, of course I will. Give me give me a few weeks. Um, and she said there'll be lots of children who have got the same issues as he has. So, but he went into her class, and within six weeks, and this is before we got diagnosis again. Within six weeks, she said to me, yes, I know exactly where you're, what you're thinking about. 
I think the same thing and will work accordingly. Never had any issues with him at nursery, with her at all. Because she, she understood that the, he needed... The behaviours, yeah, yeah. And she understood that he needed a corner and she understood that he needed a peg and that that needed never to change and that the room, when the room changed, she had to sit him down and say to him, we're changing the subject of 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 the room so it was cows last week now we're going to put up some sheep and we're going to put these up so when you come in on monday morning you're going to have to do you maybe see these sheep or whatever it was mm, and it's so interesting because it is that in a world that kind of doesn't make sense a lot of the time continuity is the only thing that does make sense yeah. so when that changes that's very very distressing so miss Greer was on board yeah she was on board you're on board i was on board well what she said to me is lots of parents and this is at that time lots of parents don't want this to be the truth for their children so she said they don't it's us who want to tell them it's not normally your way round where you've come and t said to us what do you think um she said normally we're sitting there going I really think this child needs, oh God, yeah. and then she said, and you try and broach it in several ways. And she said, we're not, we're not allowed to diagnose because we're not trained. So she said, I can't diagnose somebody, but I can suggest mm. that they may need to, to go and she said, even with dyslexia and things that are more common and that people are very happy to say nowadays. Twenty years, they weren't happy to say yeah. about dyslexia, but. Now they're happy to say, oh, you know, oh, yeah, my son's dyslexic. And you go, oh, right, OK, so he just needs a bit of help at school with this, this and this, um, which I hope will happen with autism. You know, I think I think, I think it will because people will realise how many children are, are, are on the spectrum, yeah. but also how many children have traits on the spectrum. And this is what I found at, her, at the school that they were at. It was amazing because... I said, you know, have you got to put things that are in, in special place for Elwood? And is that going to cause problems? Because then other children want the things that he wants. And uh, she said to me, the interesting thing is, is that lots of children may not have a full diagnosis, but might have two traits. So she said they might have sensory overload uh, and they might really need a very strong sense of routine and they don't like change. She said maybe it's those two things. She said, but they aren't fully on the spectrum. They've got two traits. And so she said, so if I put something in place for Elwood that I've noticed about with uh, these other children, I put it in place for them too. And she said, and then everybody's calm. Mm. She said, so they're all little jigsaws that I put together. And she said, and the kids that don't have an issue with it don't notice. Because yeah. nobody notices when you when you say to um, one of the children who you can see is getting a little bit um, overblown by something. Mm. She said, I just said, I say to them, would you go and get the register from Mrs. Whoever it is? Will you go and get the register? She yeah. says, because I know that they need to go outside. They've got a couple Sounds of minutes talking to teacher. Mrs. Doodah yeah. and, then, and then come back in with the register. And Mrs. Doodah knows when she's get sent a child yeah. to go and do it. And she said, and I won't send them all the time. I'll send the child as neurotypical as well. But there's also lots of things you can do for so many kids. Yeah. Like, you know, if you get kids who are rocking on a chair, because Woody's dyspraxic as well, so he has balance and coordination issues. And you get kids, and I see them all the time, they're rocking on their chairs, you know, on the back legs. Oh, they're yeah. rocking on the back legs of the chair. And this is generally because Woody does it, because he gets feedback. So he's getting feedback from his body. Now, if a teacher doesn't know that, they're constantly saying to Woody, stop, going, you'll knock yourself, you knock yourself over, that chair will go and you'll bang your head on the back of yeah. Moan, 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 constantly moan, moan, moan at them. So what did they do at school? They went, well, we'll just get him a chair in wheels. Yeah. Because then he can move the wheels backwards and forwards and it's not an issue. He's not going to hurt himself, yeah. And he doesn't need to do it all the time. 
But what you get in a lot of schools is, is they go, well, we can't do that for him because then little Freddie will want one as well. Everyone. No, you don't because they're all individuals. Yeah, totally. And I'm just astounded that so many children with different kinds of needs are in mainstream all mixed together, but they don't do one assembly on autism or no. I mean I because Charlie went to a mainstream before he went to special school mm. and I said like he he is on the autistic spectrum like he will be getting a diagnosis soon and I said could you do an assembly like for the other kids because they were like pulling at his clothes or they'd be chasing him and he would just be crying or like attacking them because he didn't so scared and they were like oh oh actually yeah okay we'll get someone in to do and then as soon as they did that all the kids were like oh he's autistic you know yeah. he's yeah. got autism he doesn't like loud noises yeah. so it was just that tiny bit of yeah. Just a bit of information. Yes. But back to Elwood. Yes. So so you got the diagnosis. So I then, yeah, so so I then went with his year one teacher, Mrs Barrett, who was awesome, awesome lady. Yeah. And um, she used to stretch his boundaries a little bit by moving the clock in the classroom. And she would move it and say, we're going to keep it here for five minutes and see what happens. And then she would move it back to the place. She was just great because she was teaching him how to deal with those feelings of anxiety if the clock had moved just little tiny yeah, little cool. things like that and then she would move it back it's not forever so that's cool just amazing yeah. just amazing anyway she came with me because i wanted her to see the diagnosis she said i've never seen how they do it and so it's cool for you to like to be able to allow her into such like intimate time of your life and i don't know why i did i just felt like i felt comfortable enough with yeah, her cool. and that she wouldn't judge me I yeah. think that was it. I think she wouldn't. I knew she wouldn't judge me, and she didn't think I was a um, a nutty histrionic parent who was making stuff up about their child. Yeah. And they put you in a room, and you watch the diet. You watch the, it happen, and it happens behind glass. So it's two way glass. It's the most excruciating hours that I've ever spent watching my son, and I was holding on. I think probably because I'm an actor, and I'm able to mask my emotions a lot. I think I would have been a mess. And I was on my own. His dad didn't come. Yeah. And he never came to any appointments. So I was on my own with Mrs Barrett. And uh, they came in at the end of it all, of this excruciating two hours watching my son being, you know, kind of played with and talked to by people. But they pushed them a they lot pushed them, to get yeah, them and to he's see, under the table yeah. and I'm looking, thinking, uh, what, I want to jump in there. They told me it would feel like this. The, the uh, communications disorder clinic in Hertfordshire, they told me that. So I was prepared, but I wasn't prepared. It's like, you know, when people say, oh, you know, the baby will sleep and I'll do stuff when it's asleep. Um, yeah. I wasn't prepared because, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. even though they you told me. never can be for no, something like that. No. And I remember them coming in and saying, yes, we we will write a report, but we'll tell you he has a, he has a diagnosis of autism and dyspraxia. And at that point, my inner skeleton collapsed mm. but outwardly i stood there like uh you know an Connect, automaton like, yeah, an, like actor. an actor yeah mm. who's got lots going on in their life but has to play you know the stoic yeah, yeah. daisy come lightly um <laughs> and has to go on every night having okay. you know having had our parent die or something yeah. like that you know and so i it was excruciating mm. and it and mrs barrett bless her she definitely picked that up but she didn't join in with it with yeah. me. she didn't say to, if she had said at any point Put a hand or on me, nice to or you. been nice to me. I would have, I would have lost it. But it was this dyspraxia that I was like, "Was what the hell's that? Where did that? Yeah, uh, you know, he has this thing, but what you know, autism. But what? But what? What, so what is dyspraxia? dyspraxia? So dyspraxia 
is a problem with your proprioceptular system. Now, your proprioceptive system, as you can see, I've just banged the mic, got it, <laughs> is when you can work out where things are in space. Right, so where your body starts and where the world begins. Yeah, and, kind of... and also, um, you know, how you're putting food in your mouth. So how I know far? where my mouth is, okay. on where the end of my nose is, but my son would never know. And quite common to have this in as a, a dual diagnosis. Yes, yes. And also, clum it used to be called when I was little, clumsy child syndrome. That's nice, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And does he get frustrated himself? Because he's 11 now. Yeah, he's 11 now, yeah. And... So we'll we'll talk about how he's thrived yeah, and, yeah. and how he loves sport and things yeah, like that. Yeah. But does he he knows he's got autism and he knows yes. he's got dyspraxia and does he say, Mum, can I have help with my buttons? Or does he really try and does he still have um, are they getting is it getting better with I say getting better, is he improving his skills with age? Well, the laces thing has been a real issue and we've tried lots um, and it hasn't quite worked. And the teachers, thankfully, at school will still do his laces up for him. Um, you know, you get to a certain level of like playing sport and they don't do Velcro for footy for boots. Footy boots. Yeah. You've got to have laces. So they're, they're quite good. And also now he doesn't want a teacher to do his laces up. He's getting so to the age now. So he's got more motivation yeah. to try and do it. So he went to his granddad's uh, literally two weeks ago and he sat down and taught him how to do it. And we tried. We tried to to teach him how to do it but that one step removed and the fact that his grandfather is on the spectrum <laughs> and has probably is probably more severe oh, really? than Elwood in terms of him being rigid he in some way has managed to get through to him on how to do it and we had a lovely phone call my partner and I where he said granddad's taught me how to do laces and two different types of knots my partner I know. then had a diagnosis from my son and our lives became hugely easier because I understood his dad so much more so and interesting. understood his dad's upbringing and understood why his dad had done a lot of the things that he'd done and also where he was in his head. Yeah, and in a time where it probably wasn't understood as it is now, and he probably faced had a very hard a life. A really maybe. difficult life. At 12, tried to commit suicide. Yeah. Because he felt so different from everybody else. Yeah. And so now it made sense of my partner and some mm. of the things that he was doing in our relationship and the way he is, you know, and the fact that people find him quite magnetic as a person because he's very sure of himself mm. and in this world where everyone's a little bit dodge a little bit like don't want to say than me. he's you know, better than me yeah he's absolutely clear and people love that they love the fact that he is solid mm. and he's a black and white thinker so mm. it's either right or it's wrong yeah so for me as an actor Round people who are faff and blow smoke up your ass yeah. and a fake. We found each other because he's clear. Yeah. And so I have a I have a solid person, and he has somebody yeah. in me that will sit there and understand him. Because of course, as an actor, I like people, yeah. and I like to understand how people and, tick. And also, he's probably masked his whole life. He's probably acted a lot. So you know, much. like how a lot of um, higher functioning. Would, autistic people do they have to put on this act yeah and i feel so sorry for him yeah. that he had such a struggle 
as a teenager. Mm. It's very common. Like I see a lot of people on the Facebook threads, like my son, my daughter's diagnosed. And then I saw a lot of traits in myself. And then I then got a diagnosis. And yeah, this big, scary word is actually, we've all got it in the family. Like, you know, I've got it in my family. Um, Yeah, so it is a common thing. But I think that's what's so great. Like going to that point, it's so pure about them. And even though Charlie's nonverbal, if he doesn't like you, he doesn't want anything from you. No. He doesn't need you. No. But if he loves you, he loves you. If you're nasty to him or you're giving a bad look, he'll ignore you. Yeah. He's so pure. Yeah. That actually, we need more of that in the world. And when I come back home to Charlie and he just gives me that pure love yeah. that has no no connotations, no. doesn't he just... And I really feel it. Yeah. You know, I feel that love. So what's yeah. he like now? What's what's so, Elwood like now? And more, in- I'm really interested to know. So he knows he has a diagnosis yeah. of autism, and he does he have friends? And yeah. do they all know? And what's the like? like what's your life like now? With so I did tell Elwood that he had autism. What age? Um, I think he was. Well, he's about ten. So not um, not that long ago. And and sorry to just now go rewind slightly yeah. um, from diagnosis to now. He's been in a mainstream school, but yes. with. Um, extra support yes some extra support yeah 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 and therapy Um, yeah his physical therapy stopped then they started at school to do lots of um, different stuff for again children who found it difficult to do fine motor skills you know I've been to the SEND team and said what can he what can he do what can he use can he use a computer Mm. how do we do that Um, and are you quite straight because it's hard to keep on that with, for me, I, I always find it difficult. I slip sometimes and I'll make plans and I won't tell Charlie because even though he's nonverbal, he's very much into like now and next. Yes. And I always like, oh God, I didn't tell him. And yeah. my mum's like, did you not tell him granddad was coming to pick him up? And I was like, oh no. And he's like, he's just had a, he's tried to smash the car window. Yeah, yeah. So you're quite, yeah, really you, in rigid. the house, do you have like, okay, on Monday you're doing this, Tuesday, and when there's a change, you're quite like, okay, we're going to have to tell Elwood. Yeah, so beginning well, he's of not term, like that. beginning of term, we get his uh, timetable early as possible so that we can go through it and he can look at what lessons he's got because he likes to memorise it um, oh. because he, then he knows where everything is. Um, and we stick it up everywhere as well, all around the house. Yeah, so visuals. Yeah, yeah, visuals. We always used to do meal plans for the week so he knew what foods were coming. Awesome. Um, but he do, we don't do that anymore more because he now feels confident in the fact that he and I think that sometimes you sit there thinking to yourself oh the rigidity of it I can't cope with but event but because you give them the rigidity they are then happy to go out of that so so when you when you yeah when you make them comfortable actually then they can be a bit more flexible themselves because they've gained that trust yeah and um, they know you won't force them to eat something, you know, you're being... you understand them. Because you yeah. understand that that's absolutely fine for yeah. them to go, I don't want that, that's not, you know, and they're not being picky. Or you do go, that's just you being picky. That's nothing yeah. to do with the autism. Don't give me that nonsense. Yeah, which is, yeah. Is again. But again, I've a lot of times I do say to Charlie, you know, you're just being, you know, you actually are being naughty now, it's, you know. Yeah. I always say to him, because I, 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 I say, you know, Charlie, you have autism, and because I, I talk to him all the time, he yeah. doesn't talk to me. I talk to him all the yeah, time. Yeah. He must he rolls his eyes so much. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I tell him if this, you know, you're autistic and that makes things hard for you. But I said, no, you're just you're just being a little bugger. Come on, yeah, you're tired. You need to go to sleep. Yeah, yeah, those kinds of things that you can go <laughs> and and always. But I think it's really good because it mm. helps them to understand their emotions. You know, the reason the reason why you're getting overblown about this is because 
um, you're tired and you haven't eaten anything. Yeah. And you need you need to do those things first, or you know you need to go and have a bath and chill out because you've had a very busy day yeah. and your head's fried. You know, so I think it's really important that that we we tell them that because we're not always going to be around to tell them that, and so they might in some way you need to tell that to a child who's who's neurotypical. Exactly. It's like I say, my friends are like all the time, like, oh yeah, so, you know, I always have to tell them to go to sleep because you know? I am so focused on the autism. Sometimes I'm like, it's the autism, it's the autism. I was like, he is a little boy yeah. with his own personality. He will always be autistic. He was born autistic. He'll die autistic, but yeah. he is Charlie. He does yeah. have. Yeah. So I'm learning that. He's still though. child. Like, yeah. You know, he still does child things. Yeah, you exactly. Know, it's not, but yeah, so it's really... It's hard. But you yeah. have to, but I think you have to do that all the time with, with all children. It's yeah. The, you know, it is, it's that skill, isn't it? Um, in so, terms of it, so, it's so, yeah, we, we, we went backwards, didn't so, we? What yeah, is the proprioceptular so system? So, so things like swimming underwater. He would never swim on the top of the water. He would always swim under the water because that for him is fantastic feedback for his body because the water gives pressure on his body. Yes. Yeah, and he's got tightness. Mm. So there were loads of things that, that, that made sense to me after I got his dyspraxic. Okay. So the laying on my body was because he needed to feel kind of slightly squashed because then that made him not feel like he was Airborne, floating away. Yeah, yeah. He felt and like he still like gravitate yeah. things. They told us to roll him up in a carpet and roll <laughs> on top of him. Have you and seen those? Like, I don't. I'm can't believe I'm going to say this word, and we'll probably cut it out. But there's like those condom type things that you can, <laughs> they can get. Yeah, they're like yeah. those. Yeah, yeah weighted seen them? blankets and all of those kinds yeah, of things. Or I saw yeah. on Amazon. I thought I can't believe I'm. There's a squeeze machine, yeah. which is like two roll things, and there's literally a man going, and it's called squeeze machine. And I was like, I can't believe I'm looking at this for Charlie's Christmas present. But but the most amazing thing about that is is that somebody has made that I know. and they've made it because they are also probably <laughs> experiencing the same need for exactly. that. Exactly. Well, like, this is Paw Patrol. I'm literally looking at a squeeze. A man is going to <laughs> rolling things. Right? Yeah. yeah, it's it's a different journey to most sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But you know, some people are getting you know bikes. <laughs> yes. You know, and I'm getting, getting all these sensory machine. things. Yeah. You know, where he, that he can chew. Oh, or pregnancy ball. That's yeah, Charlie's favourite thing. Anything that he yeah. can chew or spiky balls that they can you know <sighs> put you know rub, yeah. rub over themselves. So yeah, so I, so you, you get this other diagnosis that then knocked me for six and thought, oh, what's all that about? But the dyspraxia actually, it for me, it, it feels easier to kind of comprehend and easier to it's not because easy because almost there's rules and there's they're kind of the same and yeah. for everyone maybe who's dyspraxic or yeah. they like this they don't like this yeah. this, but the autism is so di- so different prescribed for every person yeah um yeah. so Elwood now yes what does he love to do what's his like so bizarrely he for a dyspraxic child and a child that you know has autism he's amazing at rugby he's amazing at sport now obviously the dyspraxia actually gives him a little bit of an edge because he likes hard contact. So he likes, so tackling for him is nice. And does he have a high, higher threshold for pain, pain do you think? Yeah. yeah. So there's lots of things with it, within his autism that make him good, right? Yeah. One, he shouts at everybody in a very loud voice and tells them what to do. Right. Yeah, no so, filter. Th- yeah. You're doing that wrong. You need to do yeah. this, right? You stand over there. So he's like already team leader. So his leadership skills are really good. That's awesome. And because he doesn't pick up if people are rolling their eyes at him, he doesn't give a monkeys, he's got what the job 
that it's needed. Yeah, he so, didn't care what people think no, of him. No, no, doesn't give a monkeys about what anyone thinks of him. Mm. So if, you know, little Charlie should be on the wing and he's not on the wing, he's going to tell him. <laughs> yeah. Because those are the rules. And of course, yeah. with rugby, the rules are really quite firm. And also, it's a very fair game. So um, And fairness is a big thing. Fairness is a big thing. So there's no diving you know, like you have in football. Oh, there'd be no diving. Well, no, there's no, none of that. Um, so you think he prefers rugby to football? Because it's way. more solid, but he's yeah. really good at football as well. So so he's got these two really big skills that we have to decide which one he's going to play. But anyway, I think it'll be rugby. Yeah. But even his head of year at school, you know, he said he's the best under 11 tackler that I've ever seen. Wow. And he said he's just amazing at it. And he said he also reads the game really well. But he said he's an amazing player. He's not one of those people who has to score the goal. He's very happy to... Yeah, he's not like glory. He's not after no, the glory. glory it's no, it's the, glory the game. Boy. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. The, it's the team. It's the team, yeah. And of course, so because he's playing sport, he has a huge amount of friends. Because I was going to say that's a lot of for boys, isn't it? That's, you're in. It's yeah, your you're in. in. And also you can talk about sport till the cows come home. And does and he? No one complains does he talk about it a lot yeah what we have done is we literally sat there and gone what are you this autism is a superpower yeah right so let's sit there and think of it as a superpower and how can we channel this superpower you are not going to be great in school until you specialize so up until you're 16 we're going to have to help you in the areas that you can't cope with Mm. if it's social if it's educational if it's classes you can't deal with if it's other people you can't deal with and you need space and you need time we will help you with that but by the time you get to 16 and you can specialize it's going to be great but in that meantime we need to look at what your superpowers are and how we can you know really forage those ahead so one of them is the, is, is, is his leadership and a, an ability to speak and to speak up and mm. to speak loudly. His mind as and, well. Yeah, yeah. And, to, and one of his down points, obviously, is the fact that he gets overblown, overexcited, um, and then you, you could look at him being arrogant. Like so intense, very intense, if he's not kind of feeling that his point is getting across, yeah. it can kind of get a bit... Talking over people. But he would do that because we've given him the rules. So the rules are you have to allow someone to say their point and then once they've finished, you can get in. All of his friends know he has autism. So does he want to do, what does he want to be when he's older? I don't know. We'll carry on with the sport and see how that goes. Um, like I say, he's a data collector. So he, he has amazing factual knowledge of lots of different things. So he could do a lot of different things. Again, he's a really good speaker. I mean, he's always cast in his plays. Is he, um, does he act as well? Yeah, yeah, he does. Um, Maybe he'll do that. But I don't want him to do no. that. I wouldn't want him to. I wouldn't, I wouldn't force that on anyone. Mm. Um, <laughs> does I, he like music? He plays the trumpet. And his teacher has had such battles with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does actually like playing his trumpet. Because music's quite formulaic. There's no, yeah. like, you're reading music and yeah. you can't. Yeah. I mean, you can improvise. But yeah. What I think what he likes about that is that he can play in an orchestra and it's another team of people that he that are completely different. Right. So I to think the, for him, to the rugby boys. To the rugby boys. Yeah. So he does. He you know he he needs that, um, and he we we often say he's got like little groups of friends that fulfil functions for him, and obviously he feels for them. Mm. So he's got his sporty set, he's got his music set, and he's got what I call his nerdy friends. Fact checking set. Yeah, he's got his nerdy friends who spelling bees. Yeah, the ones who sit there and you know they they like you know making up yeah making up games or yeah. and I think 
in life we all need those whether you're on the spectrum or not on the spectrum the last question i always ask these guests on the podcast is when you tell people your son is autistic what would you want their reaction to be i'd like them to be interested in what that means i'd like them to go okay so autism how where is he what can he do what can't he do you know, I'd like them to be interested because it is a fascinating thing yeah. and nobody should be scared. What I would want people to know is don't be scared of it. Yeah. Don't be afraid because you can find amazing periods of light within really? a, an autism diagnosis, however. And diagnosis is a good thing. Yeah, we need to get more children diagnosed mm. and we need to get more teachers. You know, they're big trained. battled, obviously, in battle teachers, but more t- people trained to understand that that these children can they they don't have to be the naughty children yeah they can they, they can there's no glass ceiling to their achievement you just have to make slight adaptions and in in, in tiny, a lot of cases yeah tiny little things that would help yeah thank you thank you autism is a spectrum condition all autistic people share certain difficulties but being autistic will affect them in different ways Some autistic people also have learning disabilities, mental health issues or other conditions, meaning people need different levels of support. All people on the autism spectrum learn and develop. With the right sort of support, all can be helped to live a more fulfilling life of their own choosing. To learn more about autism, you can visit the National Autistic Society website on autism.org.uk. This podcast was created, written and edit produced by me, Maisie Clater. And the music that you hear in this podcast was written and produced by Kit Milsom, who also records and edits the show. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, maybe even write a little review and rate us.